Welcome to Pick Up and Deliver, the podcast where I pick up my audio recorder as I step off the train and deliver an episode to you while I walk home. I'm Brendan Riley. Well, what a glorious day. I am recording on my way home from work. The spring has appeared. Spring is here, spring is here. Life is Skittles and life is beer. There's no better time of the year than the spring. I say, don't you? Yes, I do. I don't know the words. That's a great song by Tom Lehrer. I bet if I sing any more of that, I'll have to license it. So that's all you get. Yeah, sunny day. It's probably 65 or 70 degrees, maybe more, maybe warmer than 70. I may regret having a light jacket on by the time I get home, but taking it off would be a real pain in the butt right now, so I'm gonna leave it on. But I am here, I've got my recorder ready. It's a beautiful day, so it's time for a podcast. And you know what time, you know what kind of podcast it is? It's been a couple episodes since I did one, so you must you must know it's coming. That's right, it's shooting from the hip, triple shot. For those of you on the off chance that you're new to the podcast, shooting from the hip triple shot is my review episode in which I talk about three different games that I've played for the first time recently, and I talk about what I think of them. As obviously, if they're the first time I've played them, or maybe the first couple times, this is a early review, hardly even a review. Now, if you go back a couple hundred episodes, I was saying these aren't reviews. I was saying they're first impressions. I guess I've kind of given up on the idea that I shouldn't review games. I guess I do review games, but uh, generally, you have to take it with a major boulder of salt because I have not actually played these more than once for the most part. And so calling them a review would be misleading. Boy, walking by some beautiful yellow flowers now. The sky is perfect azure blue. No, literally no clouds in the sky. It's beautiful. What an excellent time to talk about Tower of Madness. Tower of Madness is a game from Smirk and Dagger. And in Tower of Madness, you are a group of, I don't know, supernatural investigators trying to stop various kinds of Cthulhu shenanigans. I'm sure there was more theme there, but it was pretty light. The way that you are stopping these shenanigans is through a process of Yahtzee-style dice rolling, or King of Tokyo-style dice rolling, in which you roll the dice a couple times, you can keep dice or uh, re-roll them, um, although it's more like elder sign dice rolling in that when you do a roll, then you have to commit one of the dice, at least one of the dice, then you can re-roll the rest. And you can't hold any. So either it's commit the dice or re-roll all of them, except for the ones that you've committed. And then you go until you either solve a problem or run out of dice without, or you run out of dice without being able to commit them. Uh, when you have beaten that problem, whatever it is, then you get some points. If you fail to beat the problem, then you have to do a uh, then you have to do a pull. So Tower of Madness is essentially Cthulhu Kerplunk. Kerplunk is a classic uh, light game in which you are trying to dislodge, or you're trying not to dislodge some marbles. You have a clear tube or a clear vertical thing, and through the vertical tube there are a whole bunch of little sticks of various uh, lengths and then you pour marbles in the top. And on your turn, you are pulling a stick out with the goal of not having very many marbles fall. And the whole thing is, I think that you get scored for, you lose points for how many marbles you make fall. It's basically the game. I haven't played it, 
but having watched it, particularly in a very funny scene in the movie The Man Who Knew Too Little with Bill Murray, I, f I find myself thinking that the fun of the game is in studying the tube and picking which stick you're going to pull. And I say that because what's missing from the tower in Tower of Madness is whatever fun is in Kerplunk. In Tower of Madness, when you do badly on your dice rolls, then you have to pull one of the sticks from the tower. And I will say the tower component is pretty nice. It is a um, square tower with graphics on it that make it look like a clock tower. And there are little holes all the way through and you stick these sticks through the holes. And the sticks are on three quarters of them, they're long plastic six. And then the fourth part is a plastic tentacle model. So when you get the whole thing assembled, it's got this delightful aspect of a tower with all these tentacles coming out, which is the art on the box. And the idea is, you know, that you are, uh, as you're pulling these tentacles out, then you might lose marbles. And if you're the one who, and for every marble you lose, this is one of the nice things though, or one of the things that makes it a little more unique. The color of marble that you get determines the kind of bonus that you get uh, until you get one of the bad ones, and then the bad ones uh, hurt you. And then there are three sort of clock marbles. Once all three clock marbles come out, the game is over. So it isn't inherently bad to get marbles when you're pulling the thing, but some of the marbles are actually inherently bad. So it's a kind of mix. But like I said, I think the fun thing about Kerplunk is pulling the sticks out in a way that tries to minimize how many marbles are gonna drop. Well, in Tower of Madness, because the tower is opaque, you don't really get any sense at all of how many marbles you're risking until you're pulling on a stick. And once you start pulling on a stick, you have to finish pulling that stick out. You don't really get a choice. So when you go to pull the stick, if it pulls tightly or slowly, then you know, oh man, there's a bunch of marbles leaning on this stick and I might make some fall. Alternately, some of the times you'll go to pull a stick and it just moves real smooth. It means there's no marbles on it and you can pull it out with impunity. Um, and that's basically the experience I had, that you, it was totally random. Although generally if you're pulling things out toward the bottom, it's easier to pull them out without dropping marbles. If you're pulling them out near the top, you're gonna shift marbles downward, which is maybe good. It makes the bottom ones harder to pull. But uh, yeah, generally in Tower of Madness, I didn't find the pulling part very interesting. And given that the niftiest, snazziest thing on the table was the pulling part, then it's just sort of like, well, then this is just Elder Sign with a slightly different complications. And I already have Elder Sign. So this was not a winner for me, Tower of Madness. I mean, I can't say you shouldn't play it. I, we had a good time. My son and his friend and I played twice, actually. Uh, when we finished the first one, I said, you guys want to play again? Because it seemed like they didn't have fun. So when I said, you guys want to play again? I was sort of thinking they'd say, nah, that's okay. But then they said, sure. So then we played a second game. And my um, impressions of the first game were reinforced. So not a winner for me, Tower of Madness from Smirk and Dagger Games. The second game I want to talk about is Creature Comforts. Now, this is one I just played two nights ago. It is from the Kids Board Tables. I think Kids Board, Kids Board Game Tables. The Kids Board Game Table is the company. And this is a medium weight worker placement game with a couple neat, couple neat mechanisms. It's dice worker placement, kind of. Well, all right, so here's how it works. You have a bunch of workers. There's a whole bunch of worker spots. And everybody all at the same time puts their workers on the spots. There's no limit to the spot. There's no limit to the spots. The only thing that might get limited in player interaction is the cards in the two different card offers. Those are limited. So if you're earlier in turn order, you're more likely to be able to get a card out of the card offer that you wouldn't be able to get if you were um, 
if you were later. And then, so you place your workers and everybody's got four workers, I think. Maybe five, I think four. Uh, and then you have two of your family dice and there's four shared dice. So before you put your workers out, you roll your two family dice so you can see what they're going to be. Now the workers are not dice, keep in mind, these are separate models. And then after everyone has placed their workers out, whoever the first player is, they roll four community dice and then they're gonna use the six dice, the four community dice plus their two personal dice to populate the worker spaces where they, or to activate the worker spaces where they had their workers. So you get this interesting, weird mix of things where the sometimes you will be able to activate all four workers, sometimes you won't, depending where you put them and which kind of dice you were counting on. Now there are some dice mitigation tokens that you can get that will raise or lower a die by one, and there are some cards that you can get that will give you the ability to change dice a little bit. So you get a little bit of that, but mostly you're counting on the six dice to be able to uh, use your four workers. And some of the spots actually take two or even three dice. So you have to kind of think carefully about where you're gonna put your workers and how many of them you're gonna activate. But so the first player uses all six dice, their own family, the two family dice and the four public dice. And then they return the public dice and give them to the next player who then spends their four, their two family dice and the four, same four public dice. And then so on around the table. And generally the worker spaces are things like getting resources and collecting uh, different cards that you can then later spend resources to play in front of you and then those cards get you points. There's also buildings. And the buildings usually get you some points but also special powers. And the cards are, uh, all have set icons on them, and some of them have bonus points for getting other cards of a similar type or specific cards. Like I had the soup card, and I had the bread card. And if you got the bread card along with the soup card, then both the bread and the soup card were worth two extra points. Yeah, you do that for, I think, six rounds in a three-player game, which is what we played. And then uh, tally up your points and see who the winner is. Uh, the production design on this is really nice. The little meeples have silk screening on them. The cards are very nice. The tokens are nice. We didn't, we were not playing in a fancy, fancy version. So all the tokens were just regular cardboard cutouts. I think the, I think one of the levels of Kickstarter had like wooden tokens for everything, but this was fine. I mean, I, I thought the game was functional and it worked fine. That said, eh, it was fine. Uh, the dice worker placement mechanism was novel enough but I didn't generally feel too stressed about not being able to activate workers if you were careful and you counted on, you know, getting to activate three of your four in a given turn. You generally could do okay. I mean, it was nice to get all four when you got it, but if you didn't, you still get a, one of those plus minus tokens, so it wasn't a total wash. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it's the kind of game that I certainly would enjoy playing if someone got it out but I don't know that it did much for me to elevate it beyond the same stature that a lot of sort of light to medium weight economic games have. You know, we have Raccoon Tycoon at my house. I think that one is equally pleasant. The art is equally nice. Um, that one's got the railroad stock element to it, but you know, might as well be the same game or pretty close. This game certainly does not have the crunch or the uh, breadth that Everdell does, for instance. I could see this game getting compared with Everdell a few times because there's cards and there's cute little anthropomorphic animals doing stuff. It was fine. Um, I don't think I'd turn it down if somebody was saying, hey, we're getting a game of Creature Comfort going, you wanna play? I'd probably say sure, but I, I'm 
I'm not gonna probably seek it out or suggest it myself. So it was fine. I hate, I, I hope I'm not turning cranky. It feels like a lot of games lately I've said, ah, they're fine. Merchants of Dark Road that I was really excited about. I don't think I was all that enthusiastic when it came out. So yeah, I don't know. I hope I'm not turning into a snob, but that was Creature Comforts. Uh, finally, the third game I wanna talk about maybe proves that I'm not turning into a snob or maybe it does prove that I am turning into a snob because I loved this game. This was Perseverance, The Castaway Chronicles, episode one. Uh, I've talked about this game a number of times. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the plot right now, but basically you are survivors of a shipwreck trying to set up a civilization on a magical remote island where dinosaurs are the danger. Uh, so this is actually another dice worker placement game, sort of. Um, there's a dice pool and you draft a die and put it on a spot and then do the action that the spot says. You have a number of soldiers as well as a bunch of different resources. There's like building materials, there's food, and then there's conversations or stories is one of the resources because the idea is that you are a leader and you're trying to build up a following and so having lots of stories means that people hear about the stuff you've done and then they join your group. This is one of those big, complex, beefy games full of components and weird stuff all over the board that make Mind Clash the premier company for this kind of nonsense. Uh, I really like the theme. It's silly, but worked well into the mechanisms. There's all this stuff about if the dinosaurs overrun the space, then the people who have stuff in the space that it gets run over lose things. But also if they run over a space on your turn, then you're blamed because you're the one who made them, who made the noise and attracted them or something. So there's some benefit to thinking about how to avoid having them overrun a space when you're in charge of it. Um, but of course, if they, if all the dinosaurs get killed by the soldiers who are defending a space, then you don't get in trouble. There's a lot going on. Uh, like I said, it is a dice drafting game. So the basic mechanism is a pool of dice. On your turn, you're going to take one of the dice and you're going to use it to activate one of the many action spots. Uh, some of the action spots have icon, an icon on them so that if you match the icon, you have to use that spot. Otherwise, if you don't match the icon, you can use one of the blank spots or you can spend a resource to change the die so it matches the uh, icon spot. We played on the base game without special powers, so our leaders were not uh, differentiated from one another. They all had the same power. Whereas uh, if you play the advanced way, then your leaders will have, if you play the advanced way, then your leaders will each have their own power. Having only played it once, it's really hard for me to say where this game will land in my judgment of other, uh, of other Mind Clash games. Um, right now, I guess if I had to put them all in order, I would put this fourth but i really like all the mind clash games so it's hard to say like oh i don't know and the part of the thing is this game has two sections right there's a episode one and episode two episode two is a mostly similar game with slightly different mechanisms and the idea is you can play them as separate games but ultimately they have this campaign mode the chronicle mode where after you play the first mode first game then you do a little bit of jiggery pokery and then you can play the second game with the stuff that you earned in the first game which I think is a pretty neat idea. All in all, Perseverance Mind uh, Castaway Chronicles is an excellent game that I'm really looking forward to playing more of. It's the newest hit from Mind Clash games and I think deserves its position. I will say two significant errors in the rulebook so far, one of which made us totally play wrong in the first game, the second of which is a lapse in the rulebook that I think is crucial, although I seem to be the only one who had that problem on BoardGameGeek, so whatever. So what have you been playing lately? Head over to BoardGameGeekGill3269 and share your experience with me. I'd love to hear it. Otherwise, I look forward to next time that we talk. 
and that you take a walk with me on a beautiful day like today. And when you do, I hope that your next walk is as pleasant as mine was. Bye-bye. Brought to you by Rattlebox Games.